Okay, so we are in Hebrews chapter 11. And remember what we're reading in Hebrews chapter 11 is the writer is giving us an indication of those who walked in faith. And he has one sentence about Jacob. He says by, in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. We covered the, the, the top of his staff, the, the, uh, the worship, last time. And now we're going to cover how he blessed the sons of Joseph. One sentence, it talks about his faith, which came right at the end of his life. And then it says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. One sentence about him. And again, it's right at the end of his life. So let's, let's turn to... to uh, to Genesis chapter 48, and that's where we're going to be reading about these people in Genesis 48. But where I want to start is where we left off last time talking about Joseph. Now, Joseph was a great man, just an amazing man, Joseph was. When he was young, he had this, this, this ability to hear from the Lord in dreams. He served the Lord when, when, uh, uh, when he was taken in as a slave. He served the Lord when he was in prison. Once he got brought up, you never see again where he is, uh, uh, where he's having dreams and visions. You never see this again. You never even see him, re- see him referring to God until much later on in his life. Joseph, it really appears, had become Egyptianized. And this is what happens. I want you to keep this in mind because the most trying thing upon a man or a woman is success. That is the most trying thing. It is not the harsh times. It is actually the times of success that really can wear out our faith and draw us away from our faith to make us think that we are more than we really are. It is the times of success. And many of you will be brought up in the coming years. You'll be moving up in companies. You'll become heads of research and heads of organizations and and leading companies. I want you to remember this message that you don't become Egyptianized that you don't become a part of the world again. The Scriptures warn us about this over and over again, and we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, why would we say this? Well, let me just point out a few things from Joseph's life. Joseph never made a trip back to see his father. He was exalted to be now second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Ten years, seven years of of plenty. During that seven years of plenty that he was running this whole place and lots of stuff coming in, he could have gone back and seen his family. He could have gone back to see about his father's welfare. He never did. And then the times of hardship come. He could have gone back to help his family and sent for them, or even gone back and done it. He never did. And even when he heard that his father was well, his father was alive, he said, send him to me. He himself wouldn't get up and go. Could that be an indication? Think about that. He didn't want his staff to see him in weakness. He sent them out of the room when he was weeping in in Genesis 45.1. He didn't want to show his own humanity. He dressed like an Egyptian in Genesis 42 verse 7. When he would swear, he would never swear by the God of Israel. He would only swear on the life of Pharaoh. We have him uh, uh, giving, uh, saying that twice in Genesis 42.15 and in Genesis 42.16. He swore by the life of Pharaoh. He said, am I not a man that can practice divination? 
Genesis 44.15. Even if he were acting, why would he say such a thing? Am I not a man who can practice divination? He boasted of being a father to Pharaoh or could be translated godlike to Pharaoh in Genesis 45 verse 8. He was attached to Egyptian culture. This often happens, and I see it in international students sometimes. They come excited about the Lord, and, and, uh, uh, but then slowly get into the ways of American society and become Americanized, and they start falling away very often from, from this passion that they have, this fire, as they, as they have to start making car payments and house payments and all these other things. Joseph was never brought his sons, it appears, it never, it appears he never brought his sons, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to see his father in Goshen. That's what we're going to read about today, until the end of his father's life. For 17 years his father lived in Goshen. It seems like he never brought his children to see his father. Joseph, uh, uh, had the Egyptians when his father died weep for 70 days, according to the Egyptian custom. It wasn't a an, an, uh, Hebrew custom. He had them weep 70 days according to an Egy- the Egyptian custom. We saw in the last chapter how the Israelites, as they, the sons of, 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 of uh, uh, Jacob, when they moved up to Goshen, they prospered. Whereas Joseph made the people of Egypt become slaves in giving over their property and their land for food. So much so that they became slaves. All the Egyptians became slaves to Pharaoh. They gave everything. And this disparity between the Egyptians having nothing and the Jews prospering caused great trouble for the Jews in the coming years as, as, as the Jews were prospering so much. So when you set up a great disparity amongst a culture, you're going to have problems in decades to come. And that's what we, we see. Now let's turn to Genesis 48, and I'll remind you we studied the, at the end of Genesis 47 last time about how Jacob had made Joseph swear, he said, swear to me that you will not bury me here in Egypt, that you will not bury me here in Egypt, but that you will bury me with my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, in that cave in Hebron, that you will bury me there. And he and 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 uh, Joseph swore to him. But now it comes about in verse one of Genesis forty-eight. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, "Behold, your father is sick." So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, "Behold, your sons Joseph has come," Israel collected his strength and he sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your descendants, to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. So we talked a little bit about this last time that it was told to Joseph, Your father is sick. So Joseph comes and he brings his two sons on his own. He was never told to bring his sons. He brought them on his own. And, and uh, uh, Jacob then see, is told, your son has arrived. So he sits up in his bed, he collects himself, and you can see how Jacob has come back to the Lord now in his old age. He says, remember, he remembers the covenant. He remembers the covenant of the land, and he remembers the forefathers. This is the way the patriarchs prayed. We'll look at how Jesus prayed over us in just a, a little while. But he says, it says... Uh, um, 
Israel collected himself, and this is what he tells his son Joseph. God Almighty, this is El Shaddai. This is calling down the Jewish God, the Hebrew God, El Shaddai. God Almighty, this is his name. This is not some generic pagan-like name. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give you this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. He is underscoring to his son Joseph, this is that land, that land of Canaan is the land that we're supposed to be at. Not this land. I know you've become Egyptianized. It's not in this place that we should seek the blessing. It's in that place. He brings him back to the land. He's instructing him about that land. This is what he's reminding him of. Of all things to be reminding him of. This is what he reminds him of. The land and the blessing that's going to occur in that place. Now look what he says in verse 5. It's really quite telling. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Look what he does. He takes, by adoption, he takes the two sons of Joseph. Up at the top of this chapter, when Joseph came, it says Manasseh and Ephraim, because Manasseh was the older, Ephraim the younger. Joseph reverses the names, he says Ephraim and Manasseh, and he says, your two sons are mine. I've lost you, but your sons are mine. He's bypassing Joseph. You never see Joseph's name mentioned among the tribes of Israel. It's his two sons' names who have been adopted. You could say, well, that's because he got a double portion. Joseph's name is never mentioned. If, if, if that were the case, that just because, just because, uh, 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 just because you, you're, you want to bless somebody, you bypass them, then why do you, why is there a mention of Abraham? Why not just Isaac? You really want to bless Isaac? Just mention, you really want to bless Abraham? Just mention Isaac. No. He bypassed him. He says, your two sons that have been born to you are mine. They're mine. I take them as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh, they were born to you in Egypt. And remember, they were born during the days of plenty in Egypt. He says, they're mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. As Reuben and Simeon, what are they going to be like? They're going to be like two of my other sons. They're not special like you were, Joseph. He doesn't say a special son, Joseph, like who you used to be. Or Judah, who is going to receive the premier blessing among my 12 sons, that he's about to give in chapter 49. He says, you're just like two of my regular sons. And in fact, Reuben and Simeon, two of them that weren't particularly really blessed, as we'll see in the next chapter. They're just going to be two of my regular sons. Two among the regular sons. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. So beyond these two, if you have other children, they'll be yours. But they shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. In other words, they'll be yours, but they're going to be called Hebrews. They're not going to be called Egyptians. They're going to be called by the names of their brothers. We're not going to leave our descendants as part of this land. All of the children... Of, of Jacob lived in Goshen. Their offspring were going to be, their children were going to be Hebrews. That was not to be forgotten. 
He was very worried about the sons of Joseph, whether they'd be Egyptianized like Joseph was. He says, your two boys, they're mine. They're mine, just like Reuben and, Reuben and Simeon are mine. And he says that you may have other children, they can be yours, but their names shall be called under us. We'll learn about Moses a little bit in Hebrews chapter 11, where he, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to enjoy ill treatment with the children of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He named himself among the Israelites, even though he didn't have to. Jacob is not forgetting his roots in this old age, and he's telling his son, your sons are mine. I've lost you, but your sons are mine. How do we have a further indication that, that, that uh, uh, Joseph has been Egyptianized? Now, all of a sudden in verse 7, let's see what we read in Genesis chapter 48, verse 7. Now, as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Of all things to say to him, to Joseph in his old age when he's about to die, of all things, why is he calling this to remembrance? Something that happened 40 years earlier. Why would he be saying this? Something that happened about 40 years earlier. Joseph at this time is in his late 50s. Why is he calling this to remembrance? He says, as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died. Remember, that was the woman he loved. But as we looked at last time, Rachel was an idol worshiper. He had told her, he, he told her, put away your idols. She stole her father's idols. And then when she was confronted with it, she denied it. Joseph, not know, uh, I'm sorry, Jacob, not knowing that his wife had stolen these idols, said, whoever has stolen them shall die. And she died. At a young age, in childbirth, she died when she was giving birth to Benjamin. She was an idol worshiper. She never was buried with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. You have Abraham and Sarah. You have Isaac and Rebekah. You have uh, Jacob and not Rachel, but Leah are all buried together. He never allowed her. And he was not far. This area in Hebron, where the patriarchs and matriarchs are buried is not far from where they were, between Bethel and, and Bethlehem. Not far. You, put, you can put a body on an animal and be there in half a day. He never had her buried there because she was an idol worshiper. He brings up the fact that though I loved Rachel to my sorrow when she passed away, I didn't bury her with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. I didn't bury her there. She was lost to me. She was an idol worshiper. Joseph, I know who you are. I know where your mind is. I know you've become Egyptianized. Remember your mother. I mean business when it comes to these things of God. I mean business about this. Of all things to him, for him to bring up. Now remember, God had given Jacob a new name, Israel. It says in verse 8, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him and he kissed them and embraced them. 
Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. So, so here, here, is a, here is a case where you see that, that um, he says to him, all of a sudden he becomes aware that there's two other people there. He wasn't even aware of this. His eyes were dim. So he, obviously he's gotten cataracts over his eyes and, and uh, he sensed there's two other people here. They probably didn't understand the conversation which was going on in Hebrew. But he says, who, who are these people? He says, these are my sons. Remember, Joseph brought his sons on his own. He was never asked to bring his sons. And Jacob hears that his sons are there. He says, these are your sons. Let me, let, let me see them. And he comes and he hugs them and he kissed them and he embraced them. He says, I never thought I would see your face, but now I see your sons as well. It's as if he had never seen these two boys before. As if Joseph had never brought his sons to see his own father. Why wouldn't he do that? Well, if he had become Egyptianized. Then Joseph took them from his knees. And in fact, if you read that uh, literally, it's actually took them from between his knees. Joseph is an old man. There are these two sons that are there that have to be in their 20s by now because they were born before Joseph ever came into Egypt, before Jacob ever came into Egypt, and Jacob is now, has been in Egypt 17 years at this point. So these guys are probably in their late teens or early 20s at this point. They're between his knees. He's sitting on the edge of the bed. They're between his knees. They are not sitting on his knees. And he bowed with his face to the ground. So he puts them aside. He bows with his face to the ground. Joseph took them, Ephraim, with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his hands and laid it on the head of Ephraim. His right hand laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph brings his sons for a blessing. He takes his older son and he brings him toward his father such that his older son is on Jacob's right hand. Right? And his younger son on Jacob's left. And what does Jacob do? He crosses his hands. He puts his right hand on the head of the younger, his left hand on the head of the older. And he blesses them in that way. And this is what he says. It says, He blessed Joseph and said. Very interesting way to start. He blessed Joseph and said. This is how he's blessing Joseph. He's giving all the blessing to his sons. Then God the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of the fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So what does he say? He says, I'm blessing them. Your blessing is going to them. I'm blessing these lads. And you can see the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He brings it all back to Abraham and Isaac, the patriarchs. Brings it all back to this. And to the land and to the multitude. He blesses them in this way. Joseph, when he saw this in verse 17, his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim's head. It displeased him and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head. To Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father. For this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. 
He will also become a people, and he will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, May the God, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And to this day, to this day, to 2017, you go to Israel, men would pray over their sons, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Puts the younger first, but he, that blessing is said to this day in Israel. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will bring God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I will give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. He says, I'm about to die. I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't bring you back there. But my God will be with you and bring you back to the land of my fathers. God will bring you back. He's only going to be brought back in death. He's never going to go back, back there again after the, the burial of his father alive. He says, God is going to bring you back there. And that's why Joseph, in the end of his life, at the end, makes his brother's promise that, that in generations to come, when they do finally return to the promised land, bring my bones back and turn me there. And he says, I will give you one portion more. This is how it's translated into English. I will give you one portion more. That word portion is very hard for the translators to translate. The actual word is shechem. Some translate it as shoulder. I will give you one shoulder more. But the word is shechem. How do you translate that? Shechem is the name of a city. Shechem is the name of a city, interestingly enough or eerily enough, where when, when, uh, when, Jake, when uh, uh, Joshua, 400 years later, leads them out from Egypt to the Promised Land, he takes the bones of Joseph with him. Guess where he buries Joseph? In Shechem. 400 years before, he says, I give you one more Shechem. What was special about that city? Well, it wasn't where the... The patriarchs were buried. Moreover, that is the city where Joseph was lost. His father had sent him to that city to check on his brothers. That's the city that he went to check on when his brothers threw him in a pit and faked his death and from where he was lost. He sent them back to the city where he was lost. I give you one more portion. You are lost to me. The Lord really means business when He calls us to walk with Him. What I want you to do is I want you to turn to, to uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, we're going to start reading at verse 13. This is the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays over His disciples. How did Jesus pray for us? It wasn't about the land anymore. It wasn't about the land. How did Jesus pray for us? Remember, for them it was about the land and the patriarchs. How did Jesus pray? Well, you could read John chapter 17, but let's pick this up in verse 13. John 17, verse 13. This is Jesus praying to His Father. You want to learn how to pray? This is how Jesus prayed. He says, But now I come to you, and these things, verse 13, these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus wants us to have His joy. Alright? So remember the context of this. 
Jesus wants us to have His joy. Well, what does the joy of Jesus look like? Maybe it's partying and laughing all the time. Ha, ha, ha. This is the joy of Jesus. Let's see how Jesus characterizes His own joy. Verse 14, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It's always about the word. Jesus, when he prays, brings them back to the word. He says in John chapter 14, verse 23, he said, if anyone loves me, he shall keep my word. If anyone loves me, he shall keep my word. The way he measures our love for him is how we keep his word. That's how he measures it. How would you like him to measure love? That's how he's decided to measure it. John fourteen twenty three. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The result of it is my father will love him. And we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. We will live with Him, with the One who loves my Word and keeps it. He brings them back to the Word. He says, here's how you get your joy full. I have given them your Word. And what's the result of that? And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. This is how Jesus characterizes His joy. You keep my word and the world is going to hate you. I know there's this little tussle on campus because some campus group said that they something about dignity and they meant only good. And the world has turned it around. That little statement, which is pure good, because your deeds are evil, we're talking about dignity, and what you're doing is not dignified. They've turned the whole thing around. Oh, you're saying we're not dignified. You people must be evil. The world will hate you, Jesus said. The world will hate you because if you keep his word. So that the world hates you should not be a shock. Don't say, I don't want to be part of that group. I don't want the campus to be against me. Well then, deny Jesus. Go ahead, become Egyptianized. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He means business. This is what He calls us to. He says the world will hate you if you keep His Word. The world will hate you. If you always want to be liked, become Egyptianized and let the world love you. But just remember, you will fall out of favor. Though your salvation will not be lost, you will fall out of favor. And God will take another generation and do it with them. That he's very good at. Become Egyptianized if you don't want the world to hate you. Go along with it. Let them love you in that way. He says that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. And the word and, and, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. This is how he prays for us. And then he says in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. It is the word of God that he brings us back to. It is the word of God. The word of God. That's what he drills home. Just like they were doing the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the land. 
For us, what He brings us to is the Word. The Word of God. This is why He says in Matthew chapter 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our sustenance. Moses said, This is not an idle word for you, but indeed it is your life. This word, these scriptures are our life. Meditate on the word. Make the word of God your meditation. Or you will become Egyptianized. And your generation will be passed over. You will become Egyptianized. A great man was Joseph. A great man. And it wasn't until his last breath that the Lord has something to cite in Hebrews chapter 11 about him. It wasn't until his last breath that the Lord has something to cite about him. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of God which draws men to repentance. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here, that they would not be ashamed of you or of your word, because you have warned them that the world will hate them because they've received the word. Father, let them not be surprised, but Lord, let them rejoice and be glad, for their reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Father, I pray that you'd cause them to take your word and to make it their daily meditation. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. Father, that the conviction of God would fall over their lives and that they would pray this morning, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me, I am a sinner, come into my life. Save my soul this day, I pray. And Father, I offer this up to you for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.